I'm Jorge Salazar with the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is helping people make better decisions about how to manage water resources. That's because scientists are taking the best tools of advanced computing to help make science-based decisions about complex and pressing problems in how to manage Earth's resources, including water. The Science Panel on AI and Water Management meets here in Austin, Texas on February 17th at the 2018 meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Suzanne Pierce moderates and she co-organized the panel. Pierce is a research scientist in Dynamic Decision Support Systems and part of the Data Management and Collections Group of the Texas Advanced Computing Center. She joins us on the podcast days before her panel to talk about the Intelligent Systems for Geoscience community, of which she's on the steering committee, her panel on AI and water management at the AAAS, and the work TAC is doing to support efforts to bridge advanced computing with Earth science. Dr. Pierce, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Tell us about Intelligent Systems for Geoscience community. Um, what is that? And um, this is called ISGO. What is that and what are some of its priorities? The ISGEO initiative is about bringing computer scientists and geoscientists or earth scientists together so that we can learn how to collaborate with one another more effectively. There have been so many advances in terms of the capabilities that intelligent systems, so that includes things like machine learning, automated reasoning, um, workflow assistance, things that help people do tasks or identify patterns in data and information more easily. There have been many, many advances in that area, and yet the applications to Earth problems, which are some of our most complex and pressing problems, have not been so easily achieved, and we're not seeing a really rapid acceleration that we would hope to see in terms of applying these new techniques from computing sciences to the really hard problems that we see in Earth sciences. So Earth sciences writ large means everyone who studies the polar ice caps, so polar scientists, deep earth scientists, geospatial scientists, and as well as the near-surface earth conditions. So that means everyone who's studying water and space and the core of our planet. So it's a broad range of possibilities. One of the concerns of ISGO is computational reproduction, and that's getting the same results. If you get the data, you can get the same results, no matter um, who performs, who performs the calculations, I guess. How is ISGO working to improve computational reproduction? The ISGO effort has been funded by the National Science Foundation. And a necessary thing that we have to do, a necessary step that needs to be taken, is to start to build on top of prior work. And you can't really do that with these large, complex problems if you don't have access and the ability to recreate how an original piece of information or a piece of research was completed. And so we have hypotheses and ideas or theories about the way we think things work. And it takes a lot of effort to get ourselves up to the point that we can analyze our data and our problems at the scale and necessary level of sophistication to actually come up with reliable, robust, and credible solutions. And so the reproducibility component of ISGO is looking at how do we make sure that people are documenting their work in such a way that another scientist or researcher could come behind them and access that information and reuse it or build on top of it. And what we're finding is if someone is able to ramp up more quickly 
and also less expensively and leverage the work that's gone before, then we're able to accelerate discovery. And that's a very exciting component of it. In fact, ISGO is really looking at three key working group areas right now. One of them is looking at data and reproducibility. And so on our isgeo.org website, which is is-geo.org website, we're starting to post data benchmarks. And data benchmarks is a tool that we've defined as a community that is a way that scientists can describe their data or their software tools. And they can describe them, make them accessible on an open source repository, and enable that reuse easily. And we call them data benchmarks. And any scientist is welcome to publish their data benchmarks using this format. And what we believe is that by publishing them, we'll be able to start to access data sets and learn from one another and test out different machine learning algorithms, test out different approaches and methodologies from intelligence systems. The other working group that we've got is a modeling working group. And that group is really looking at once you've got the data, sometimes you need to connect and link that data to the physics that drive the processes of our Earth systems. And that's a very hard problem, too. There are many hard, unopened questions in both intelligent systems and geosciences. The modeling working group is going to be looking at how do we accelerate our ability to connect tools and put together work streams or workflows that drive from the raw data and the raw conceptual understanding of a problem all the way through to a solution. And so that's moving towards having interactive workspaces. One of the things that's really important about collaborating between intelligent system scientists and geoscientists is we need both robust, reliable, and relevant solutions. And so the robustness factor comes through what people think of as the typical high-performance computing capabilities. We've got lots of disparate, complex, uh, heterogeneous, and hard to describe in some ways data sets about the Earth. And so once we link them with simulation models, we can emulate or reflect the way that Earth behaves. So in the case of water resources, which is the area that I specialize in geosciences, we can run many, many iterations or scenarios that look at if you change the way a community is using their water resources, how does that change what's available for an ecosystem or a pool that they want to swim in or different aspects and elements of our earth and of our lifestyles that we want to preserve. And so we run many, many iterations of these representations that simulate water or earth behaviors. That requires robustness, which means we've got to deal with lots of uncertainty and you've got to run it many, many times. So that leverages the hardware and computational tools that places like Texas Advanced Computing Center has for rapid modeling runs and big data generation. At the same time, we have to move beyond that. So ISGO is about moving into the real advanced computing components, right? So there's the HPC perspective, and then there's this perspective of we need new kinds of interfaces that mean that a subject matter expert doesn't have to be in between the policymakers or the community members that need to make a decision about how to interact with their water resources, or perhaps it's even something like a hurricane response plan or these earth-related events, but allow them to interact with this complex data in ways that makes the 
outputs from our simulation models and analyses very relevant to decisions and very relevant to what we need to use it for. So that could include visualizations. It could include intelligent systems, just like on your Netflix account. You've got a recommender that once you try a certain kind of movie, (laughs) then uh, Netflix may recommend another movie that's similar that you would like. You can think or you can imagine that in the future we might have systems that a community group comes together to talk about how they want to manage the water for the future. And they need to think about the things that matter to them. So all of the various components that matter to them and from all the different perspectives, both economic and environmental and social and just you name it, there's a long list always of interests and concerns. And so making sure that we can identify possible ways that they could manage their water by creating pumping solutions or storage solutions or new ways to handle and manage their water and making a recommendation system that tries to say, here are, you know, 10 great options for you that seem to best meet and reflect your concerns and the things that you want to achieve. What's your shared vision or desired future condition? And how can we help you find the way to get there? So to do that, you need the expert information but you need it presented in a way that people can actually use it. And so that's a big part of what's happening with the modeling working group. And then finally is the education working group. And that education working group, so many of us are trying to teach the next generation of transdisciplinary scientists, these researchers that will both understand the computing techniques and powers and approaches together with the earth scientists who are able to use them. Could you speak to um, what's happening now, what you're doing now with the Texas Advanced Computing Center and speak to um, some of the work that you're doing and some of the work that TAC is doing in this work that you've described and working with ISGO and maybe um, some other projects that you want to talk about. It's an exciting time, really. Many of the computational capabilities are all coming together. So at TAC, we're trying to make advanced computing of all flavors and types more easy to use and accessible to people who need it. So some of the exciting things that we're doing in our data and statistics group that are related to decision support is, and water is a major aspect of that because we're using water problems as a great example type of problem to try and solve and work on. And so we're building tools that are reusable and that are open source and that make it easier for people to access these rapid computing, so the high-performance computing capabilities. So really leveraging what the U.S. has invested in as part of our computational infrastructure here at TAC and making it accessible not just to a small handful of ivory tower researchers, but really opening it up so that people who need to answer open questions, open questions in research, but also open questions in practice and implementation in the real world, can access these tools. And so that's one of the things that, or well, that is what we're working on here. An exciting example of where things are going right now that's very relevant is the Planet Texas 2050 project, which has just been funded. And that's a project that crosses every school and every college at the University of Texas at Austin. It's going to be a major undertaking because the goal is to use the best cross-disciplinary and transdisciplinary insights and knowledge that have come from research on our campus and also more broadly just across the state to bring that back and 
learn how to apply it to real world solutions for the state of Texas, but also hopefully that will create emerging opportunities for other people to use it elsewhere, right? So we're hoping it's not very place-specific and that our results will be very broadly useful. And Planet Texas 2050 is looking at resilience as a primary driving force, and we're looking at it across four core pillars, which is the interactions across ecosystems, urban systems, energy systems, and water systems. And that really captures the crux of many of our challenges as a society today as populations grow and as we watch climates beginning to shift and try to understand what are our opportunities to adapt and become a more resilient community writ large and then also to understand where we're vulnerable so that in short-term acute events like a hurricane event that puts a community at risk, that we're better able to respond rapidly or we're better able to have preventative measures in place before the event happens. And then from a long-term perspective, we talk a lot about intergenerational equity. So understanding how humans in the future, not this generation, but maybe a hundred generations into the future, will need to be able to react and respond? Or how did they react and respond a hundred generations in the past? So how does that full spectrum across time for the way that we interact with our world and the way that we interact with events, both short and long-term events, to maintain a stable society? And uh, in, in Austin, And in Texas, in general, you see many acute events like hurricanes are one example. Flooding is another example of a rapid response kind of event. And then we've got these medium to long-term events that include things like drought. So how do you plan for drought in a way that assures you have a safe food source and that your energy and water resources are secure and sustained and that families and communities and people can rest assured that they're going to be able to live a stable and comfortable quality of life going into the future and that their children's children's children will also be able to have a stable and secure future. Uh, Will you speak a little bit um, about the 2018 meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science that's coming up? You're moderating a session on water management and artificial intelligence. What's happening on this panel of scientists that you're you're moderating? Oh, this panel is a dream panel. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think that there will be some really interesting conversations. The discussions that we expect to have for this panel will include really looking at um, the visionary future that includes the way that artificial intelligence can accelerate our capabilities in relation to water resources specifically. But that really carries more broadly to how is artificial intelligence going to improve our lives and help us in the future. Yolanda Gill from the University of Southern California will be speaking, and she's one of the leading experts on automated reasoning and automated workflows. And so sometimes we can't, we as scientists and also even as decision makers, there's not enough time to process and analyze and understand our water resource problems before we need a solution or before we have to make a decision. And so what Yolanda really specializes in is how do you improve the pipeline and the workflow? So how do we help someone realize there's a problem and go from problem identification all the way through a robust 
and reliable analysis to recognize and identify possible solutions that someone might be able to implement on the ground in very rapid time. And so Yolanda has already helped us run here at TAC last summer, a computational institute where we tried to take a water resource, an integrated water resource management problem, which is a common term that we use, IWRM. So we tried to take this IWRM problem from uh, zero to a complete decision support system, sophisticated system with machine learning involved and intelligent ontologies and some of the greatest approaches, best practices approaches to analyzing big data and simulations from zero to complete in under four days. And we made it pretty far. We didn't make it all the way, but we're going to try again. And ultimately, the goal is to try and get to the point that someone would be able to open a new project and have a a fully functioning decision support system ready to work with and used to help support important critical discussions in, you know, a day. And so Yolanda is going to speak very much to the visionary possibility. She's in a position where she sees many of the cutting-edge intelligent systems applications, and she is aware of what's possible and the trend and trajectory for where things are going. The next person on our panel is Scott Peckham, and another big challenge is it's conceptually easy to say that we're going to put all of this data into a place where we can access it and use it across software applications and analytical tools, but that's actually a very hard thing. So Scott Peckham is from the University of Colorado at Boulder, and he's an expert in looking at how to design the translational tools that help us create mappings between our modeling and data parameters. And so you can think of it as like just a master translator in effect. And so he'll be speaking to this thing called the geoscientific naming paradigm in effect, and he's been implementing it. And what it does is it streamlines a way for scientists to tag their data so that it can be more easily discovered and then also so that it can be uh, used across modeling and analysis platforms. So you kind of tag your data or piece of information with a common name that can be recognized across multiple platforms. And then another, so once you get your data connected and once you know the workflow you need to analyze the information, which comes from Scott and Yolanda's work, then you need to analyze it intelligently and you need to have approaches that link machine learning or advanced learning or uh, computational tools and reasoning to the physics of your problems. And that's what uh, Vipin Kumar does. He's from University of Minnesota, and he specializes in global machine learning applications that are looking at things like what is happening with water globally. And he's doing it on a very frequent time scale. So he's looking at things globally and analyzing them you know, on a regular basis to have interactive tools that are up and online. And you can start to see where water resources are gaining and, and becoming more available or shrinking. And and so he's a true leader in terms of how do we match up the physics and scientific knowledge and understanding with these really advanced machine learning applications like artificial neural networks, um, deep learning techniques, the full range and gambit of approaches, uh, technical approaches. And then 
they will each give a presentation to kind of highlight what they're seeing right now, what they're working on now, what their most recent advances are, and where they see the future going in terms of AI for water management. And then we've got Mary Hill, who is literally one of the leading experts from the groundwater uh, science community. She specializes in groundwater uncertainty and modeling for groundwater um, solutions. And we picked Mary for a variety of reasons. One, she's very active in the ISGO community, but also this issue of uncertainty and groundwater. Groundwater is the buffer solution. So when surface water supplies run short, the solution that we turn back to typically is groundwater. And so understanding how to use that buffer resource to tide us over in times of scarcity, but assure that we aren't drawing it down and impacting it to the point that it becomes unusable, that we lose that resource in the future. And so Mary really uh, will help juxtapose the presentations by our more computationally driven colleagues with the groundwater or geoscientific perspective for what are the kinds of questions that geoscientists and even water managers need to ask to be able to use this fantastic new AI capability? So those will be the kinds of conversations that we will drive um, with three presentations and then a panel discussion. I imagine uh, the ISGO group that came to TAC, was there much excitement about some of the systems being used here, like the Wrangler? And- oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement about the visualization tools at the end of the pipeline Definitely. We used Wrangler during our time here while the group was here. We had about 26 people. The community at this point has over 100 members, we believe. So they're active. And then there's a group of 26 that focus on water issues in particular that came together this summer. And we used Wrangler. And the excitement there is that these problems get large very quickly. And if you're chaining or linking together, integrating multiple models, The computational times, if you're trying to do these things on your desktop, it's just not possible. Or it's possible over many, many months or years of time. And so TAC and the high-performance computing systems here actually make it possible for us to ask a new kind of question. So these are, you know, I think a lot about the traditional tool for a scientist that we imagine is that they come up with a theory or a hypothesis about an open research question that they need to answer, and they conduct an experiment. And they might use tools to look very closely at either a sample or some kind of analysis or result. And so the microscope is a very kind of symbolic and iconic image of what a scientist uses to do their research. Well, we're no longer looking at micro problems. We're looking at macro problems. And so TAC is really like the macroscope It's the new tool that scientists and researchers can use to look at these very large-scale problems. And so the ISGO community is very interested in leveraging that computational speed, the accessibility to data and tools, and then also the really innovative approaches to taking the results of information analysis and pushing them to places that you can share them with others, both internal to a team of scientists, but also externally to people in the public or other people who need to make and use that information for decisions. So TAC is uh, very pivotal, I think. TAC and all of the computing infrastructure for the United States and really all of the computing infrastructure that you see around the world is is critical uh, for us and for everyone 
implementing new approaches and answering questions that weren't possible to even ask a few years ago. I imagine questions like, how much groundwater do we have? Do we have enough? I mean, some cities right now are struggling. city in South Africa running out of water. Scientists are a good source to go to to answer some of these questions. Very definitely. And they are difficult questions, as I was saying earlier, and they are global problems. They definitely are. There are cases, for example, in Australia in the Murray-Darling Basin where one of the best researched water plans was completed by scientists, but they weren't able to communicate it effectively enough to stakeholders, the farmers who needed to use it. And so one of the breakdowns there was great analysis that wasn't shared properly with the user community that needed to understand it and have input into it. And so building tools that help prevent that kind of information breakdown, where we bridge between this advanced research to make sure that the people on the ground who need it can actually use it. So that's one space that a a place like TAC can really help to bridge that gap because we have the visualization tools and we have the ability to share the knowledge and, and create a space where people can come to gather and talk about it and participate participatory modeling is a and co-design is a very new and emerging approach and methodology to these kinds of problems, which is really about getting the scientists to use their best tools and connect and communicate with people and stakeholders. And so TAC is a place that that's really important. In terms of urbanization, we're seeing that there's frequently a lot of conflict between urban and rural transitions. And that does put things like our food resources at risk. So people are going to need to lean heavily on the best available information so that they can understand the unintended consequences and the things that happen that you may not expect as we transition through these water management changes that are coming as our populations shift and our conditions climatically shift as well. I just had one wrapping up question. Was there anything else that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? You asked some great questions. Uh, Probably I've missed some really important components. As always, it's such a big area. So ISGEO is an emerging discipline, really, and it's an emerging field of research that puts us at the cutting edge for both the advances that can be inspired inside the intelligent systems community and the computing sciences community. So people on the computing side of the equation can find that there are hard and important challenges when they look at earth resource problems like water and energy and urbanization kinds of problems. And so looking to those problems as a way to drive innovation in computing sciences because you're driven to solve something that's very complex and very challenging, is something that's interesting. We've got disparate data sets, heterogeneous information, and it changes dynamically over time. And that makes it very challenging from a computing sciences perspective. So that can drive innovation on that side. On the other side of the equation, there's a great amount of incentive for an earth scientist to collaborate closely with these computer scientists who are bringing the solutions because we've got many open questions that we need to answer and we can't answer them alone. And we can't answer them without some of the new tools and approaches that are going to be available to us. Doing that is far more challenging, like bringing those two pieces together in a way that is both uh, seamless and successful is far more challenging than you would imagine. 
and it takes a lot of time for people to sit and talk and understand their domain perspectives, their disciplinary training, and discover and develop a shared language together. So it's exciting times. As we overcome that challenge of communication and that challenge of merging knowledge together, the synthesis results are going to be very inspirational, I think, and informative to help us implement better solutions. What's the most important thing that you want the public to know about water management and artificial intelligence? It's a great time to look at artificial intelligence as a tool that helps humans to make better decisions. And at this point, the kinds of artificial intelligence that are being developed are really accelerating and improving the way we can understand our problems. And it's something that is exciting. It's very promising and really needed. I think it's also important to know that there's always a human in the loop, and that's important, that it's not giving control to the AI, but it's letting the AI help us be better decision makers and look at the things like move towards answering and discussing and exploring the questions that are most important and most critical for our quality of life and our communities so that we can develop a future together that's brighter. Dr. Pierce, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you. You've been listening to Suzanne Pierce of TAC. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.